This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Yo, what's this? I don't know. What is it, like some type of old school Nintendo or something? I don't think so. I don't recognize it. A game for those who seek to find a way to leave their world behind. Welcome to Jumanji. Jumanji. Jumanji, what, what does that mean? I have no idea. I've never heard of it. What's going on? What's happening to your head? What's wrong with you? I don't know. Holy shit! Oh, oh, what the hell? What happened to the rest of me? I think we're in the game. So, excuse me? What are you talking about? Somehow, I don't know how, I think we, we got, like, sucked into the game. And we've become the avatars that we chose. So it's me, Spencer. But yet I look and sound like Dr. Smolder Bravestone. must-have high-tech gadget is now on the market and in high demand. It's a virtual reality headset. It's all the rage, apparently, at the Consumer Electronics Show. In a freezing cellar with fake snow underfoot, I'm inching across a crevasse on my way up the world's highest peak. In virtual reality, there is no limit to what we can do. We can be anywhere, anytime, anyplace. May, where are you? What are you looking at? No, there was a helicopter coming at me. But what will the future of this advanced technology look like, do you think? It's very hard to say where this technology is going. It's certainly moving towards cableless virtual reality and, and giving people the freedom to interact with virtual worlds using the skills that they were born with. That's an absolute must. This could be the next big thing. Uh, we're talking about having virtual reality rooms in your living room, uh, universities using virtual reality to teach, uh, architects, astronauts, soldiers. Uh, you can see a, a lot of potential for designers and even for doctors to look at um, things on a molecular scale as if they were inside of those cells. Uh, the ability for people to put on headsets and walk around a room without having to be tethered to a PC or a laptop um, is going to make an enormous difference to the way in which virtual reality is exploited. That was so intense. I like can't even with this place. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. Been practising that, haven't you? Yeah, well, you know, I've had a bit of a while to, to sort that out, but I think I've got it now. Yeah, you really have. One more time. Hello. So good, isn't it? I know, it? I know. Welcome <laughs> back. Like honey in your ears. Oh, Is yeah. that the phrase? Yeah, I mean, that's what people have said. <laughs> <They haven't. laughs> 
This week, we are going to be turning our attention to none other than Jumanji. Oh! Which, I, I mean, have to which say... Which is just a superb film. It's so good. So, uh, there are obviously various Jumanjis. There's the first Jumanji, which was Robin Williams. Yeah. It was, it was good. To be honest, not seen it. Not se- I mean, it's worth watching, but I have to, and this is controversial, it isn't as good as the remakes. See, that is going to be controversial because my daughter said to me that the new one with The Rock is worse than the Robin your, Williams one. And I not said, for the first time. Your daughter is talking shit, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't for the first time. But no, I'm mean, just fetishizing the past. That's she's all she's a hardcore doing. Robin Williams fan. That's the problem. Robin Williams is great. And in fairness, if Robin Williams was in the new film, it would be better. But he isn't. And it's still great. I'd, I'd loved it. I absolutely, yeah. To the extent that I'm using my goddaughter and her sister as an excuse to go to an advanced screening of the new Jumanji film, <laughs> Jumanji The Next Level, which I think is probably out this week. Yeah, it's, it's joyful, isn't it? It's, it's a joyful really film. It's really good fun. Kevin yeah. Hart, controversial figure. He's very funny. The Rock. Oh, man, that guy's I funny. I love The Rock. The Rock's amazing. Have I met The Rock? Yes, yeah. I have. Thank oh, you very much. Yeah. I, I wondered how long that was going to take. Yeah. Not long at all. No. <laughs> Answer my own question. <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't seen it, the premise is, so in the, the original uh, Jumanji is a board game and the players get sucked into the game. Uh, in the current versions, it's a video game and they get sucked into the game. It's the same premise, just yeah. a little bit updated. Yeah. So they're in this kind of, you know, they're in a video game uh, and it's very convincing and they're occupying the bodies of, so, The Rock, Kevin Hart, um, Karen Gillan, the lady from Doctor Who, is very good, uh, and then uh, Jack Black. So what's the, the big question we're going to be asking of Jumanji? Yeah, so a lot of people said, you can't do an episode of Science <laughs> issue on Jumanji. Really? And they were absolutely wrong. Um, the big question is, could you ever live inside a game? So we're basically looking at virtual reality. Oh, Where are we nice. at with virtual reality? Right. And yeah. I'm extremely excited about yeah, this episode. Yeah. Who's the absolute Don who's answering the question for us? Uh, well, we have got an absolute Don. Professor Robert Stone, Emeritus Professor of VR, AR, XR and Telepresence. <laughs> yeah, you heard. At the University of Birmingham's Extreme Robotics Laboratory. So he's been working with this stuff for over 30 years. Started at NASA. <laughs> oh, yes. How Z? That's bigger than my rock housing. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, like that was in the sort of mid 80s. He invented the first tactile feedback gloves. That's in a big one, too. Yeah. And now his team explores the human factors of, of VR and they do a lot of work in things like defense. But there's obviously there's a lot of these, you know, acronyms knocking around VR, AR, XR. Uh, so the obvious place to start was asking, what they all mean and how they're being used today. Virtual reality is first and foremost about real-time human interaction with computer-generated databases. Primarily visual and audio, but also with things like haptics and smell and so on. Augmented reality is where we're using those same virtual models, those same virtual assets, if you like, to bring meaning to the real world. So, for example, we will see uh, headsets or smartphones or tablets displaying 3D objects and associated media like video, like alphanumerics, like graphics, but bringing meaning to a real-world scene. Mixed reality is almost the inverse of augmented in that what we're doing is we're using real world objects to bring meaning to the virtual world because virtual reality is still quite primitive in many respects so we tend to use the best of the real 
For example, in our medical trainer, we have a very realistic human mannequin that makes the virtual seem more credible. So as we interact with the real objects through our specially demodified headsets, you're actually feeling something real, you're seeing your real hands, but when you look up, you're inside a virtual helicopter. So that's the important difference between augmented and mixed. Apart from games, which a lot of people associate even today after three, four decades with, with virtual reality, there are many, many important developments for VR and its associated technology in society. Healthcare being top of my list, it's been top of my list for many, many years. Be that sort of personal healthcare, using virtual reality applications for, for example, diabetes, or to distract people when they're being injected to painful interventions like injections or bandage changes. And also in surgery, although I tend to be a little bit critical of surgery because this is an area where I think there's been too much interest in virtual reality technology at the present, and where we could potentially see some safety issues creeping on by people adopting these technologies far too early. But healthcare is a big one. Education is another. We can use virtual reality to play to the strengths and the interests of young school children and foster their abilities as we go forward for making them the creative media experts of the future. The list, the list goes on. Obviously, there are um, applications in defence. We've been talking about uh, a new project we're involved in, in using virtual reality to help supervise future autonomous vessels going across the Atlantic. I mean, the scope is absolutely endless. So, so I mean, I've, I mean, I've known about VR. I can't even remember the first time I heard about it. It's been around a long, long time, hasn't it? Has it got this? It must have a huge history. Yeah, I mean, do you want the the long version or the short version? Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> long-ish, long-ish. My, my trademark. Maybe I should have said shortish. So in 1838, a guy called Charles Wheatstone or Whetstone, he showed that the brain processes two different images from your eyes, slightly different, so they're at different angles yeah. and, and from a slightly different perspective, and it processes them into a, into a composite image. And therefore, you can simulate depth by putting two pictures side by side. And then that gave rise to the development of these things called stereoscopes. Uh, and so the most famous one is like the, the, the Viewmaster stereoscope yeah, you can yeah. still get as kids, like little goggles. Then the first simulator, so like flight simulator, when do you think that was? 60s. 1929. No way. Yes. Called the Link Trainer. And it kind of mimicked the feel of the controls and, and turbulence and stuff. Wow. Very early uh, flight simulator. And then in the mid-1950s, someone called Morton Heilig developed this uh, Sensorama, which is kind of cabinet simulating all of the senses. So you've got fans in there, you've got smell, you've got vibration, you've got a 3D display. And then he also, crucially, Pasted the telesphere mask, which was the first head-mounted display, which is the, the things that we now associate with VR. So yeah, big, okay. chunky goggles. But by the early 60s, they had motion tracking. So if you move your head, you look around your virtual environment. Okay, so obviously quite a yeah. key, key I mean, that is the key thing of VR. Yeah, sense, a, 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 absolutely. Well, this is our virtual reality glove, 
It's called the data glove. Virtual reality as a term wasn't coined until 1987 by Jaron Lanier. 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 Yeah, I've met him. Have you? Yeah. (laughs) Not as good as meeting the rock, but still. (laughs) It's close. So uh, the idea is that by wearing computerized clothing right over your sense organs, you transport your sensory system into a reality that can be of any description. It's worth saying that Sega and Nintendo in the 90s had a real had a decent crack at virtual reality but couldn't couldn't get it to work Just so Sega the, I don't think ever processing power no yeah. Sega I don't think ever released theirs did they and Nintendo had the virtual boy yeah it was just basically it was crap yeah but now you've got all kinds of competing virtual reality headsets out on the market. So you've got Oculus Rift. Oculus, which is owned by Facebook, is really the leader in this field. HoloLens. HoloLens has see-through, holographic, high-definition lens. HTC Vive. Samsung Gear. You can get what's called a Gear VR. You plug your phone in and then your phone becomes the display. Um, Sony's got a PlayStation VR. It's a crowded market. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So how do these things actually work? You've got, effectively, your entire view through these, let's call them goggles, is just a computer-generated simulation. Um, and when you move your head, the what you're seeing follows. So that's the that's the motion tracking. That, that's quite important. And either you'll have two separate displays to create this stereoscopic uh, depth, or you just have two separate feeds into into one display either ways and you have them slightly angled and that will give you your your 3d image they're constantly measuring your head's position in the in the x y and z uh, axes and so they're using you know like uh, gyroscopes accelerometers magnetometers so quite sophisticated so they can track everything that your head is doing uh, and then the 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 image moves um, at the same time you also need this sort of 3D audio. So you need to have audio that appears to be coming from uh, diff- different directions. Um, and then and then you basically just can plug in as many other inputs as you want or as are available. So you can have voice control, you can have kind of smart gloves, you can be on a treadmill. All right, so, I mean, they're not perfect yet. So how far no. from you know, the situation in Jumanji where it's like fully immersive, you really think you're in there? There's a few barriers, I think, to this. So... The the first is an absolute classic um, for us, which is that we we have quite a limited understanding still of how our consciousness and our senses relate to the sort of exact workings of brain and our nervous system. Like we have okay. some idea of how some processes work and where they're located. So we're expect to see electrical activity in the brain when I'm doing certain things, but 
at the finest level of detail, we're quite a long way off. So that means that we don't know how to replicate those things. With right, so it's not just signals. about like presenting you with an image and some sound. It mm. sort of goes a bit deeper than it, that. It, it, it does really. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the way that um, like retinal or, or cochlear implants uh, work, they're still using the sophisticated apparatus of the eye and ear. Yeah, like the bits that are, the bits that are still working. They're not producing signals from scratch. They're yeah, effectively, yeah, okay, they're like yeah. a repair job. We can do that, but creating signals from scratch that exactly replicate the kind of signals we'd be getting from our actual sensory our nervous system, yeah. we don't know how to do. And we're probably quite a long way off of that. I mean, that would be effectively like, you know, recreating the matrix. Y- yes, exactly. So, Which would be the ultimate version yeah. of this. Because that's sort of what you're seeing in Jumanji, really. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a, an, an incredibly detailed, but almost like perfect simulation yeah. where you're embodied in someone else. There's lots of research being done into sort of the nerve impulses and their relation to limb movement and stuff. We are getting somewhere, but it's not that advanced. The biggest barrier really is just ethics. Really? Is it a big barrier? Well, it is because we can obviously and are doing experiments on animals. There are, unsurprisingly, people have been hooking. Actually, no, I say unsurprisingly, but there's no ethics surprisingly. <laughs> like, it's not the first thing I'd do. Um, but have hooked up a cockroach or cockroaches I think to when you know of, scientists that's unsurprising yeah yeah, yeah. So, a, so a virtual reality setup so what you have is you have you have your cockroach you sort of tether him uh, or her, or her. Uh, onto a ball that you can then kind of run on and the ball is, is, is freely rotating so he feels like he's running around yeah um, and then you put him into a kind of virtual reality I guess it's sort of like the inside of a sphere yeah. and then you project the image of for example, a forest, so the kind of thing that it would be used to seeing out in the wild. And then you just watch how it tries to move around this virtual forest, and it does what you'd expect. Um, So it it tries scuttles about, tries to avoid trees. Sometimes it will sort of walk through a tree. Um, (laughs) You'll be like, well, that's not great. But they think that's probably because there's no tactile feedback, so normally it would be getting, as soon as it got, you know, the antenna would tell it to move away from that. But the good thing is that you can monitor the brain activity while it's moving around and while it's sensing its environment in a way that you wouldn't be able to do if it was out in the forest because how are you tracking it? Yeah, so you, yeah. you can monitor its activity and then you can start making some you know, judgments about the mapping between the behaviour that you're observing and its brain activity. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So you you could tell whether it thinks it's real or whether it's just confused by what's going on. No, I don't think you, you could tell no, I don't think you'd be able to tell that at all, which I think is part of the problem with this. Right. Um what you would be able to say is okay, when it sees uh, a tree, this part of its brain is, is lighting up and then this part um is saying okay, go right and that that corresponds and so you start to yeah. build up a picture of well, just correlations between brain activity and 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 movements and behaviour. Yeah, that you wouldn't right. be able to do in a less controlled environment. This is obviously the thing about virtual reality is it is the ultimate controlled environment. Yeah, yeah. you can control everything about it. So if if you've got a, a mouse in a maze, you can try and control, but you can't control everything. Whereas yeah. in virtual reality, you absolutely can can control every aspect. I mean, you can change the maze effectively. You can do you can do yeah, do whatever yeah. you, you do yeah. whatever you like. So it's very appealing for 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 research. I mean, as you can imagine, with this technology, there is a lot to think about, and partly it's not just um, how good is this virtual reality world, how convincing is it. 
you have to think about the good and bad effects of virtual reality on our bodies. And we spoke to Professor Robert about that. It's a fact that about 3 to 5% of the population will experience some degree of malaise or nausea right through to full-blown sort of vomiting within about three to five minutes, maybe even less, of putting virtual reality equipment or virtual reality headsets on. And that's just a fact. It's very unlikely that any virtual reality headset, no matter what kind of optical or display technology they're using, that 3 to 5% of the population will still be with us. These are the people who feel nauseous when they're, when they're a passenger in a car, for example. It's a fact of life. In terms of people who are spending long times in virtual reality, the basic answer is we don't know what the long-term effects actually are. But certainly... When people return to the reality of the real world, having been in virtual reality, they do take some time to adapt to get back. And, and given that we are putting barriers to interacting with computer databases on the humans, they will inevitably have some effect on the way in which A, we sense and we organize information about the world, and B, how we then interact with it using our hands, using our legs, whatever. However, the early evidence for putting people into virtual natural scenes, which we've been developing and evaluating in our own local hospital and in the southwest, uh, is very encouraging indeed. There is an innate connection between the human and nature, and it seems that we can get very similar psychological and physiological responses for example, the, the release of endorphins and other brain chemicals. When exposing individuals to virtual reality scenes of the coast, virtual reality scenes of forests, for example, and, and all the sounds and sights that go with them. So the, this ability for them to relax and for the relaxation effects to enhance their recovery periods, reduce their requirements for painkillers and to make their experience in hospital much more pleasant. Uh, the evidence is there. So as Professor Robert is saying there, there are some amazing uh, medical applications be- being developed and quite quite surprising yeah, that you yeah. see the positive effects that you're creating in a virtual environment then lasting back in the real world. Yeah, and um, having like, you know, actual chemical effects on your yeah. body, like the feel-good factor yeah. of being at the coast or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I'd quite like that. Just like some point in the day, I'll just stick on the headset and just feel like I'm on holiday for 15 minutes. You really would. And it would give you a little boost. It would. And you'd continue with that feeling. Yeah. Just uh, be a bit of a downer, um, quickly, if I can, by saying that there are obviously, like you. There are obviously issues. Right. Uh, and one of the main ones is, uh, you know, cyber sickness. And no one quite knows what's causing it. But this idea of sensory conflict is kind of the leading theory. So sensory conflict is the idea that the information you're getting from your eyes and maybe your ears doesn't match up with your body's yeah, other yeah. senses. That doesn't explain why different people react in different ways, though. Because if if that was it, then you'd expect that everyone would experience it. But but not everyone experiences motion sickness in a car, do they? Well, or, no, that's, or on the roller coaster. That that's that's right. So another another theory actually is that there's a sort of some people just have a kind of like postural instability, like wobbliness. Yeah, that people are more prone to getting car sick and stuff. Um, and almost just less coordinated, so can adjust less quickly. Well, we'll just leave them behind. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think people still, people aren't entirely convinced by that. It's really interesting, like, why um, they think that you would feel sick or have nausea 
as a reaction to this. Now, it might be an evolutionary thing where your body thinks, ah, I must have taken in some sort of hallucinogenic toxin. I need to get it out. Oh, That must be why I'm confused. Right. And so, hence, le- less vomit. Yeah, Quite well, like that. that's interesting. But, you know, there's there's loads of great videos on YouTube of the kind of stuff that can happen to you if you use in virtual reality. Obviously, you lose all spatial awareness yeah. in the real world, so you're just, like, tripping over stuff, getting your arm caught in a fan above you, all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just got no idea where you are in the room. Yeah. Uh, like, quite quickly as well, you're clueless. Yeah. You, there's, uh, obviously, like, dizziness and kind of disorientation. Uh, one in 4,000 people, I think, have seizures. Um, even if there's no history of epilepsy or seizures. Wow. Uh, then you, you've got uh, nausea, obviously, uh, eye soreness and focusing difficulties, but much like if you just stare at a computer screen or a yeah. TV for a long time, except slightly worse because it's closer, I think. Yeah. The most worrying thing uh, that I've found is to do with uh, rats. So rats in, in virtual environments, when they're navigating their way around, 60% of the neurons in their hippocampus shut down. What? And it is not clear why. So the, the hippocampus does all sorts of stuff. You know, it's involved with learning and dreaming and memory and stuff. But it's it's also critical in, in mapping your location in right. space. Yeah. And 60% of it is just like, done. Just That's just turns weird. off. What, what? Really. And, and people think it's because of the... Visual vestibular discrepancy, maybe. It's just like overload. Just don't, yeah, so it's, just like just don't, reboot that. Don't get it. Don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> just, just turn, turn it yeah. off. Yeah, turn it off. It'll be okay. And uh, I don't think anyone's seen whether that's happening in in humans. Oh, we need to know that, don't we? You, ideally, you would want to know, uh, or at least you need to know that it turns back on. I don't think that's great. No, I don't think that's a good sign. Well, no, of course it isn't. It's a horrible sign. Yeah. I asked you to do me one simple favor. I said, do my homework so I don't get kicked off the team and you want to mess that up. Now I can't do the one thing that I'm actually good at and it's all your fault. I should kick the shit out of you right now. I'd like to see you try. What did you say? Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. Guys. Oh, you think because you, you what, 6'4", 6'5", 270 pounds of pure muscle, I'm supposed to be afraid of you? Is that what you think? Maybe. Let me tell you something. You're still the same annoying kid that I've been trying to shake since seventh grade. Ain't nothing changed. Don't let this new body get your butt whooped. So I love that uh, Professor Robert stuff about hospitals. So obviously we're completely susceptible to really what are not entirely fully convincing VR demonstrations but are we getting anywhere with a kind of you know touch senses other senses yeah we are because obviously that's the thing that that breaks the illusion most readily is if you wave at an object that appears to be solid in the virtual world but then your hand just goes straight through it you're like okay there's there's nothing there so you need to somehow create the, the, the feeling of solidity. Yeah. Um, and in fact, all of, all of the senses, you know, it's not enough to just have um, audio and visual. Um, so there's a, there's a thing called the Tesla suit, which is like full body haptics. So haptics is just touch. Yeah. And that uses um, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, TENS. So it's non-invasive, but it just stimulates your nerve cells, can recreate the feeling of touch, even the weight of objects. In, wow. in 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 the virtual world. And so you, you end up with this, you get tactile feedback through these these sensations. And 
they're quite rudimentary because the the resolution isn't isn't that high. I mean, you've got sort of like there's a there's a haptics uh, glove which has these tiny little blisters of air called tactus, I think, uh, all over the hand. And they, again, can give the illusion of, of shape uh, and, and, and movement just by inflating and deflating oh, and cool. kind of, kind of yeah. little you know, indentations on the skin. And, and even you have a sort of a, like an exoskeleton, so it can resist. So let's say you're grabbing at a sphere, a floating yeah. sphere, then the, the exoskeleton will sort of pull back on your fingers so that you can't, grip through the thing so yeah, it feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. there is resistance oh, that's amazing i want to um, try that yeah which which is a which is extraordinary so just pulling back your fingers a bit yeah so it feels like oh okay yes i can't yeah so i've got that through this now. i've got yeah, this thing yeah, in yeah. in my hand um and so you get you know a, a reasonable illusion of uh solidity and and i think that they're at the moment they're getting there is right. what is what i would say um, and and there's not really an equivalent for for full body yet. You know, these these gloves are pretty amazing. I mean, they're doing spicy stuff as well with temperature. So you have these tiny little pipes with hot and cold water, so you can you can feel temperature changes. Whoa! It's all it's it's it's, it's coming along leaps and bounds. I like that. Mm. So it's looking pretty good. Are we almost there? Well, sort of yes and no. Um, we asked Professor Robert. The ultimate question. Could we live in a game like Jumanji? It's very hard to say where this technology is going. It's certainly moving towards cableless virtual reality and, and, and giving pe- people the freedom to interact with virtual worlds using the skills that they were born with. That's an absolute must. We are decades, if not a century at least, away from the, the Star Trek holodeck. There are people who are claiming that they are building the holodecks, but they're not when you actually look into them in, in greater detail. What I would like to see in the coming years and decades, if I'm still around, obviously much more consideration of visual display units that are wearable but not intrusive. And and we're getting there slowly. A lot of the so-called retinal resolution headsets, which they're not really, but they're publicised as that, uh, are moving in the right direction, but they're still very bulky and they're still incredibly expensive. I'd like to see the sense of touch being given serious consideration. At the moment, they are gimmicks. Unfortunately, they're expensive and unreliable gimmicks, and we need to improve on that that sense of touch. I'd like to see more in the area of smell. We've been dealing with smell now for the best part of four years in some of our projects, and again, that is even more immature than any of the other sensory modalities that we want to exploit in VR. So I would like to see... A lot more development tailoring the equipment to what the human needs, making that interface between him or her and the virtual world much more transparent, much more intuitive. Alex, what year do you think it is? What do you mean? Oh, no. It's 1996. You're Alex Reek, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Wait, you mean free apps? Wait, what are you what are you guys talking about? How do you know me? Alex, I don't exactly know how to taste. You've been in this game for 20 years. That's probably not how I would have done it. What? No. You guys are messing with me, right? No, we're not. Alex Vreek, everybody in Brantford knows about you. You're the kid that disappeared 20 years ago. 20 years? Twenty years, 
When it comes to living in a game, yes, we could. I don't think I would, and I certainly wouldn't want to live permanently a game. And I, you know, I, I certainly think that, again, to use the analogy of the Star Trek holodeck, then things like bodily functions and drinking and eating and all the kind of things that we take for granted in reality will one day be achievable. Uh, whether it's by using mixed reality, as I said earlier, blending the best of the real with the best of the virtual, or whether it's totally virtual by some technology yet to be invented, I don't know. It would be a very sad state of affairs if people decided to stay in that game, I think, because they would be missing out on uh, the, the, all, the, all the benefits um, that society should be doing, should be bringing to us, and causing even more societal problems as, as we move forward. But yeah, I, I think for a little bit of escapism, depending on the game, then I would spend some time in it. I mean, I would love to spend time, for example, if they ever produced a really, really a convincing virtual reality version of Half-Life 2 or Half-Life 3. So I think that's one of the best games that has ever been produced. But I, I wouldn't want to be in there full time. I, I, I just, a little bit of escapism, yes. Full time, no. I think I'm with Professor Robert there. Really, you don't fancy the IV drip and the colostomy bag? <laughs> I don't think I do. Catheterized. But you do, um, you do mixed reality, wouldn't you? So you'd kind of, you'd be eating stuff in the real world, but in the virtual world, it would be more delicious. Yeah, yeah, probably. It'd be some, yeah, I think. I so. guess that's what I'd do. Yeah, so you could have like taste implants or something, where you, like you yeah, get injected, yeah, 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 injected yeah. with sugars into your mouth, so you get the taste of something that you're eating in the virtual world. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine a setup where you just never had to leave. Yeah, and then. I mean, you're into kind of matrix territory again, aren't you? Now? You, it's like, you, you massively are. You yeah, massively are. Yeah. We are now going to have a long discussion about the idea of virtual embodiment. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing with... Are we? The thing of... Yes, we are. So the thing about uh, Jumanji yeah. is that part of it is that you're convincing someone that they're somewhere else. So they're, they're in the Jumanji landscape having this fantastical adventure. But the really significant thing is the virtual embodiment, which is you're convincing someone that they are someone else. Yeah. So not just somewhere, but someone else. And virtual embodiment is it is possible. Ten years ago, people did this, and with a really basic setup. And the setup is you stand opposite a, a mannequin. Yeah. Uh, you have a sort of uh, uh, a headset on you, and then a feed from two cameras on the mannequin's eyes, yeah. effectively. So you are seeing, if you like, what the mannequin sees. Okay. And when you move your head, the mannequin's head also moves. Uh, and so when you look down, you see the mannequin's body. If you then have someone poke the stomach, yeah. so they poke your stomach and the stomach of the mannequin, yeah. you apparently feel like you are in the mannequin's body. Yeah. You meet and and so you you're totally outside of your own body and in the in the mannequin's body and the mannequin it doesn't even look like a real doesn't look like a real so person. You, you think doesn't I am look a like mannequin. your yeah it's just like oh yeah I, you, and your brain apparently is is fine with that your mind yeah I should say your mind just like fills yeah, in the gap yeah there we go we're in so uh, we're in here now <laughs> which I, I just that I, I, I just I really. This blew my mind. I'm not surprised by this in a way because I've I've come across stuff where we have this really fragile relationship with where we are and how we map the sort of space around us and stuff. If I think about myself, 
like it's in my head. Yeah, and these are the things that I use. To, you know, my hands and my feet. These yeah. are the things I use to kind of. Manipulate but I could, the I could convince you you're in, you're in other ones. That's yeah, and, and then yeah. as soon as you say that, you're like, well, hang on. Then in what in what sense am I contained within this body? Well, you know, effectively, I'm not at all. If, if, if I can just pop, yeah, if I can pop you into another one. Well, this is why you can do mind uploading in theory, isn't it? Because we sort of think of ourselves as not even in a body necessarily. The body's just useful. It's surprising how fragile our embodiment is. The Jumanji stuff you you can do. And also, back to our point about how this stuff will affect you, they've done some really interesting things with role-playing with abusers, so domestic abusers. So you put the man in the position of uh, a generic woman yeah. and then an abuser comes in and like shouts at them and all this kind of stuff. And afterwards, they understand much more, and they think even recidivism is, is reduced by wow. that. So just like the experience of being like the classic thing of Walker, Walker Marlin, someone else's shoes, yeah, you can yeah. do that with virtual reality. It's in, it's insane. You can even do a thing where you're in a virtual room and turn the avatar off, and so you're sitting in there, and you just don't, and you're just sat in there, but there's nobody at all. Ooh. Like body's just gone. You're just you're just right. sort of a a floating presence. It sounds like torture to me. It's like it's, that is messing with your mind quite a lot. Isn't it? Really, really messing with it, but also. So you have to use this for good? You, yes, you do have to use this for good because you could sort of convince someone that they no longer. You could put them into this yeah, scenario yeah. and say, oh, you've no longer got a body. You're just like a floating. <laughs> you're a ghost. Unlucky. But I, I just. I, it's, it's really. Re- reading about this and watching a load of YouTube videos, I was like, I can't believe how easily you can be. You, you can be taken out of your own body. So for you, the big takeaway is is our fragile embodiment. For incredibly fragile embodiment and the fact that actually that to me says, yeah, absolutely, you could definitely do something like Jumanji. I could absolutely, I could be in The Rock's body and and believe that I was in The Rock's body. Let's do it. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd rather that than Kevin Hart, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's my, I think that, that's that's my big takeaway. I think that the, yeah, okay, we we don't know uh, the other sensory stuff, we're not. It's not quite good enough yet. But and and it's not probably sure going to really take. Necessary. Not. I don't think it is. I think no. you would you would believe that you're in in these virtual worlds anyway, and you can definitely put yourself into someone else's body and live in another body and and be happy that it's you. Yeah. Wow. What the fuck. <laughs> This episode of Science Ish was brought to you by Radio Wolfgang and feature Professor Robert Stone. It's presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Eli Block and Ivor Slayer Manley. The assistant producer was Cormac McAuliffe, and the executive producer was Harry Watson. Next week, it's the big one, Star Wars. Is the Force a real thing? You can follow us on Twitter at science underscore ish. We also have a book out, Hollywood Wants to Kill You. It's great. Well, there we go. Good stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah.